right, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Teardown. My name is Jeff Luck. I'm along with George Young. It's been so long since we talked to you. Not really a couple weeks, but it seems so long. So much has happened. Um, so we are back at it, and this is our last off-season podcast because um, next week we will both be on the ground in Daytona. So we'll finally be back together in person for the first time since Homestead. Been a busy off season, um, and especially for Jordan, been traveling all over the place, flying all over the place. We'll get into that, but um, first of all, Jordan, how how are you doing? I'm doing well. Been busy, uh, a lot going on, and it's it's been a, it's been a week, that's for sure. Um, but it's been good. We, you know, on the athletic side of things, uh, we've we've had a lot of great content, and I encourage people to check that out. Um, but it has certainly been a week, that is for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, let's let's just right off the bat here. I mean, as part of that, uh, I think it would be weird to acknowledge uh weird to to go forward without acknowledging i mean um what what happened um on sunday this podcast we were actually you went to the rolex 24 and we were you know really getting ready uh to record this podcast right then with you at the track and um you had shadowed kyle bush for the 24 hours and and he had just finished his press conference so your duties were wrapped up until you were going to write and then we all of a sudden learned about the the terrible tragedy with Kobe Bryant and and honestly um, it, it would have been totally inappropriate to to talk racing right then um, and even Monday it just it just felt weird um, now here we are Wednesday um, you know I I'm not saying it's back to normal it, it this this has been really tough to um, I don't know it's tough for me to shake I mean this has been so it's been dominating the headlines, um, but it's just it's just such a tragic thing, and you can't really, um, you know, go too long without thinking about it. At least for me, and you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure you feel you feel that um, that sense of of gravity hanging over this. I really do, and I, I have a lot of close friends of mine who are Kobe Bryant fans and are and have kids, and seeing them, their reaction has really kind of hit home for me. And you know, as I think about this and I go through this, I don't I don't have children, but I, I think about those who do have children and just the loss. And I, you know, I think about right now is is Kobe's wife and his three daughters and what they're going through because I can't imagine how difficult this is for them. I, I just I I there's no way anybody I don't think anybody could process that. And I just my heart just bleeds for them because this just has to be such an emotional just. I, I I don't know. I can't say the word. It's just, it, it's, it's emotional. Well, and, and to me, I, you know, I can't go too long without even thinking of like the what if for, from the NASCAR side of things, because, you know, we all saw, I mean, I was there Bristol last summer and, and, you know, Dale Jr. with the, with the plane crash. I mean, you look at what happened with Kobe. It's, it's, it's miraculous that Dale and his family were able to escape this. And, you know, the whole NBA, the whole sports world, whole world is is going through this kobe tragedy now and i think you know it would have been something like that for nascar Uh, i can't even imagine how how terrible and heartbreaking it's almost like everybody got past bristol in a week and it was like oh phew he escaped that plane crash but then this kobe stuff comes up and you're like man it could have been so so much worse and you think about nascar's whole history with all the aviation tragedies that that's gone on it's just it just makes you shudder and it makes you feel sad for all the people who lost their lives on that helicopter way way too early for you know it's just it's just such a tragedy so at least we want to 
acknowledge that off the bat before we just talk about racing news. But I mean, this is entertainment, right? And so hopefully this will distract people or get their minds off it for, for a little bit as we go forward. Is that, is that fair to say? I, I think that's fair. And I think that's the best thing you can do is, is you try to, you, you, you move forward the best you can and you, you try to focus on things that maybe can help uh, alleviate uh, you know your worries. Yeah. Well, let's, you know, on that note, I mean, we're not trying to just be like, oh, it's just, let's just go back and talk about racing now because it's, it's been a heavy week for everybody, like we said. But we are going to go talk about it just in the sense that, um, you know, this everything we do with our jobs essentially is like an escape from the real world in some ways. I mean, for people, I mean, we're, we're, we're bringing, as Bob Pacra says, um, you know, our job is to, to, give people insight about their favorite sport and it's their it's their pastime and their activity and so um you know this is we'll, we won't make the rest of this podcast so heavy but we just want to at least at least say that so that said um i think you know the, the first thing that happened uh most recently we can kind of go backwards is the uh the daniel suarez news where he is going to be driver, driving the number 96 car for gaunt brothers racing now Gaunt Brothers has never been a full-time team. They ran 15 races last year. 14 of them were with Parker Kligerman. And uh, I know you did uh, a lot of talking to people um, this weekend, getting ready for anticipation of the story. I think, you know, it was kind of a – people kind of knew that this was coming for a few weeks. You know, what can you tell us about how all this came together um, behind the scenes? Sure. I mean, it was when Daniel was going through the process last year with Stuart Haas Racing and and there was discussions of whether he was going to return to that organization. uh, And then it kind of became evident that he wasn't going to return to racing or return to return to Stuart Haas Racing. Um, You know, Daniel is a very popular driver. He is somebody that has a lot of friends in this in this industry, has a lot of support from sponsors and manufacturers. They wanted to see him continue. And, And the question became and. NASCAR president Steve Phelps was involved in this. Um, he, he Phelps had some conversations with people. Is what can we do to kind of put help Daniel get in a position that maybe he can have some success and, and you know be around and continue to race full time. And the team that jumped out to a lot of folks was Gaunt Brothers Racing and David Wilson, the the Toyota Ra- uh, Toyota Racing Development President, um, was one of the people that Phelps spoke to. And Wilson pointed you know Phelps toward Gaunt Brothers. Gaunt Brothers for a long time now has wanted to be a full-time Cup Series team. They've ran part-time since 2017, and honestly, in the last few years, they've they've had their moments where they've looked like they have the makings for a, being a competitive team, but they don't have sponsorship. They didn't have sponsorship. They don't have the resources in place to to take that next step. So, in a lot of respects, this was a kind of a perfect union. Um, Suarez is a talented driver. I, I think he's talented. I think he can be a winning driver at the Cup Series, he's bringing sponsorship with him. And then there's the relationship that Suarez has with Toyota. Suarez, for a long time, was a Toyota-backed driver. Um, that relationship is was still very strong, even though he was driving a Ford last year for SHR. And David Wilson with Toyota um, and their partners wanted to see Suarez in a situation where he could be successful and wanted to help him out. So, you know, all of these different, you know, parties kind of came together and said, what can we do to help each other? And it was kind of determined that it was with Gaunt Brothers Racing where Daniel Suarez needed to be. And he's bringing sponsorship. Gaunt Brothers is going to have a little bit more of a backing from Toyota. They're going to get some engines. 
They're not going to have a technical alliance with Joe Gibbs Racing, which I think is important to note. But they are going to get some, you know, pieces, some data, some, you know, some help in making this very big leap in what is a kind of a short amount of time. So, you know, all involved acknowledge that it, it you know, initially it's going to be a struggle. And expectations are kind of muted, knowing that you know through the first part of the season, it, it's going to they're they're behind the eight ball, and it's going to take time to get caught up. And trying to get caught up during the season is very tough. But I think for Daniel Suarez's options were either take this deal or race on a part time basis, or maybe not even at all. And I think it's really kind of making the best of a of a, a situation that wasn't best. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm. I have my concerns about this because absolutely, I do too. Yeah, I. They are really, you know, Marty Gaunt says we're working twenty four seven at the shop now. We've heard they don't have that many cars, right, and all this stuff. And they're going to be stretching their resources, and it's clearly it's it's like a long term building project. But the thing is, with this, this is a unique situation because this year we all know is you know, going to be this wide open, silly season. We've talked about it on the podcast where all these people are going to be changing teams. There's going to be all this opportunity. So you would think, I mean, I, you know, if, if Suarez is saying, yeah, I'm going to go here and we're going to long-term build it up into something. They're going to try to make it, you know, like a home for him. And, um, you know, over time they're going to get competitive like a Levine or whatever. Um, that's fine. But I mean, I, I don't even know if he had to go that route to, to sort of struggle for a year, and, and this is the not the year that you want to struggle because there's going to be so many open seats. Um, why not take that money that he, he you know, he, we've heard that he could have gone to the um, two team at RCR that shut down the, the um, Xfinity team. Why not take that money down to Xfinity, you know, see if you can win five, six races, um, remind people that you're good, you know, maybe run for the championship, right? In Tyler Reddick's old car. Um you know, maybe, you know, I, I feel like that would have been a better way to say, hey, like, look, look at my future. This is I, I really need to be in cup and something competitive. I, I just think that when you get when you're running 25th, 30th or whatever, um, I don't know, like unless you're really outrunning what people think your equipment is doing, you don't really get those big time opportunities like, you know, people don't really know. I guess what Gaunt Brothers is capable of. So if he goes in there and run, they go, oh, well, maybe they're doing better because of Toyota now is helping, you know, with, with TRD engines or whatever. I, I just don't think he's going to get the the big boost from it. Um, and so he's going to have to build there long term. Whereas if you go and you prove yourself somewhere else and, you know, all of a sudden the 48 scoops you up or, you know, the 42 or wh- whoever becomes open, I don't know. Um or whoever takes those rides, you take the, their place. I, I just, I'm worried about the future of this and the long-term play of this. No, and I agree with everything you said. I, and I've said on this podcast, I think the smart move or the move I would have made would have gone down the Xfinity series, run full time, win races and remind people that, Hey, I am a good driver. I am a championship winning driver. And if you put me in good race cars, I can get the job done. And like you said, I think it's really easy to be forgotten about when you're running 25th every week. You know, we, we, it's, it's possible that you can elevate that team, but this team is not in a position to be elevated. They, they don't have the fleet of cars. I mean, they, they are on record saying that. They are trying to play catch-up, and to play catch-up and to be competitive in the Cup Series is incredibly difficult, and I am concerned about 
what happens if they start slowly? If you know, if you, you know, wrecks happen, they don't even have to be your fault. You can get caught up in a wreck. What happens if they go to Las Vegas or Phoenix or something earlier in the season on the West Coast and get caught up in a wreck, not of their own doing, and all of a sudden they're they're down a race car? Then what? That makes it even harder. And the fact that they don't have a charter, there's no guarantee that this team is going to be in the Daytona 500. Now I'm pretty convinced, and I, and I don't know this, but this is me kind of for the people I've talked to and just kind of saying is I think Toyota is going to give Daniel a pretty good engine and I think he's going to have a good qualifying lap. So I don't think he has to worry about it too much, but there is a realistic possibility or scenario where he goes to the Daytona 500 and misses out. And if you miss the Daytona 500, that's a heck of a way, a horrible way to start the season. So there are a lot of hurdles and the fact that this came together kind of late and at some points during this process, it didn't look like it was going to happen. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds. I, I think if you're playing the long game, if you're Daniel Suarez, I, I think it would have been better served of, of just dropping down, winning races, and positioning yourself better for 2021 and not worrying about 2020 so much. Or just sit out. Or just sit out and, and keep keep that mystique about you because yeah, yeah, when, you haven't, when you haven't run uh, 25th or 30th or whatever, then people go, well, you know, this guy is available and, you know, he almost made the playoffs last year and um, he's a pretty good driver. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe we use him and then you don't even, yeah, I don't know. I just think you, you, it's like David Reagan, um, you know, where he's kind of moved down a couple of times. Um, now he's obviously uh, not in full time anymore, but you know, it's, you know, he started at Roush and he moves down and you never move back up because people, you just don't get that. It doesn't work that way. I don't know. I just haven't seen it work that way. So anyway, we have, a lot to get to, so um, we'll move on to the next thing. But um, today, or I'm sorry, Tuesday was the uh, NASCAR rules briefing. Uh, is an annual thing, not televised or anything like that. But they have all the beat reporters um, to the R&D center there in Concord, and they say, you know, um, here's what what's you know kind of a review of things that are going on. Here's some new rules to think about. This year's rules briefing uh, didn't have a lot of you know anything really newsy coming out of it last year was pretty big because it was the new rules package they were talking about uh one of the headlines from last year was hey this group qualifying thing it's still gonna work yeah we'll we'll try it we think it'll be good obviously that that didn't make (laughs) how did that work out yeah yeah um (laughs) but so you know this year nothing too noteworthy that's that's really um that really jumps out of you but they they did say that i thought was really interesting my ears perked up that they considered seriously going to Mm -hmm. add a fourth stage uh during this off season they ultimately tabled that for now and and they said and this is sort of the, the the new trendy phrase speaking the quiet part out loud i would say they said well you know we'll kind of maybe revisit it if once the once the next gen car car comes out and and we think the racing needs it then we could add a fourth stage so basically if the racing isn't very good with the new car somehow uh, you could see uh, an extra mandatory caution added in. I would be actually highly against this. I think that we don't need a fourth stage there in NASCAR. What say you, Jordan? I would agree with that because I think they made a good point. Is It does restructure points distribution and that there's going to be more points awarded during a race. And that's going to have a significant impact. And I think if you do a move like this, you have to study it. And I thought it was interesting to note that they said there's just a lot of change right now or change coming in NASCAR. And this is something we just don't want to add on. And that, you know, with the new car coming in and likely a new schedule in 2021, 
that going to this new you know point system and structure for races was just probably a little much. But you know, I asked the question: Is is this something that is going to be revisited? And it certainly gave the impression that this is on the table and is definitely kind of in their back pocket if they need to go to it. And I would not be surprised that, that if we see the expansion of stage racing, whether that's next year or a couple years down the road, I, I would be surprised if we didn't see it, in fact. Yeah, once they, once they start talking about it, it often uh, comes to fruition. So we will keep an eye on that. Uh, Jordan, one thing we mentioned at the top of the podcast and we sort of moved on from, but I, I definitely want to go back to, was the the Rolex 24 this past weekend. Uh, I don't I don't want to take away anything away from your story because you covered it quite in depth. You were embedded with Kyle Busch for the whole 24 hours, or essentially every time at least he was out of his motorhome. You didn't uh, take a nap with him or something. But um, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're bunk buddies now. Yeah, you, that that was not part of it. But at least while he was in public, you were there. Uh, David Smith, our own David Smith, also was embedded with. Uh, team Penske, um, even with the massage session, I think, uh, or I guess they call it the physio. He was, he was in there for that. So um, he was, yes, yes, he was. Yes. So, uh, I don't want to take anything away from those stories, but I would like to ask you about your experience, um, staying up all 24 hours. I assume you maybe, maybe you took a cat nap. I don't know if you made it all 24, but anything jump out at you, uh, you know, that you, you know, just, just being there and, and going through that experience. I love the Rolex. I, I think it's a big deal. I think it's a marquee race on the motorsports calendar. I, I think it's a great collection of talent across the board. I mean, yes, there's Kyle Busch is there. Team Penske's got a loaded driver roster as well. Um, but you got Scott Dixon, who who you know who was part of the overall winning team. And there's just a rich uh, talent pool that comes with this race. And I also say it's neat to see a lot of different kinds of cars. You can see the the very expensive and the very sleek and highly technical prototypes or you can see kind of the more street cars which is what Kyle Bush was in and then the, the GTD class you know so I, I just like the different cars I like the different formulas I like all of them on the track I, I like having the faster cars have to work through traffic I love that how the track changes I just love everything about this race and I think it is a true test of man and machine and my complaint you know not a complaint let me take that back my thing about racing nowadays in a lot of forms is that reliability is kind of out the window. Every, you know, in NASCAR, for the most part, you don't see a lot of mechanical failures. You know, everything is just buttoned up and the, and the equipment is so good. But in a 24-hour race, reliability in building a car that can last that long is still a difficult task. So you have to learn how to manage that. And it is a fascinating race. And it is a fascinating race to observe watching a driver like Kyle Busch who's never run a 24-hour race before, never really, you know, this is only a second sports car race, and going through this process of, of acclimating to the car, acclimating to the track, and acclimating to all of these different nuances, it was a fascinating watch. And I, and I really encourage people to check out my story, and I'm, I'm not trying to tout this too much, but I think you will learn something about sports car racing and really about Kyle Busch and how committed he is to his craft. And I also encourage you to read David Smith's story about Team Penske and Roger Penske sitting on top of a pit box for almost 24 straight hours because he's so committed to this. So to me, this is this was a great event and it is a great way to kick off the season. Yeah, so definitely check out Jordan's story there and David's story on The Athletic. They're both uh, both posted there, so um, make sure to do that. Now, it's funny because the week before the Rolex, the longest event, 
you covered probably one of the shortest events in sports all year. Uh, you went to the UFC fight in Vegas to do a story uh, on Kevin Harvick Incorporated, and they had a fighter um, in the fight. It was a pretty big fight, obviously. Um, it was Conor McGregor versus Cowboy Cerrone. And um, he that, that fight did not go well for the KHI fighter, Cowboy. He only lasted 40 seconds. So you had 24 hours in one event, 40 seconds in the other event. Um, aside from the obvious differences in uh, time-wise, what was your experience like um, in in Las Vegas? I know, I, and I want same thing. I don't want to take away from your story, but just what was being there like? Sure. What was being there for the for the unique fight atmosphere like? Well, I will say this: covering that fight that night actually did turn into a twenty four hour thing. So it was back to back twenty four hour weekends for me because the time I got done covering the story and got back to my hotel. I had about 45 minutes before I needed to be at the airport for my early flight. So it just sleep was not on the table. Um, I will say this. Here's a funny story about that fight. It was 40 seconds. Um, they, the, the fighters go to the center of the ring to start the fight, you know, tap gloves, and they're going to fight. I dropped my pen on the floor. I reached down to pick up my pen and then drop it again by mistake. And so as I'm picking up my pen for the second time, I come up and look, and Cowboy is already bleeding. And I'm like... What just happened? Why is he bleeding? And um, the UFC lady who was sitting next to me explained to me, oh, McGregor got him. And 15 seconds later, the fight was over. It happened that quick. So I kind of actually missed the, the first part of it because I dropped my pen on the floor. And, it ha- and in a blink of an eye, the fight was pretty much over. Wow. That, that, that does tell you how short it was for sure. Yeah. What was, uh, what was like the whole atmosphere like that day in Vegas? I mean, <clears throat> was it? Was it any different than like a, a big race? I mean, was it was it totally different than anything you've experienced? It felt like a combination of the Talladega playoff race and kind of this crazy, wild party that's going on and everybody's there for that and they're also there to see the spectacle. There's an intensity to it as well. It, it, the passion, you know, the you know, the public weigh-in on Friday that they do on ESPN, they do it in this auditorium and it's filled with fans and a lot of McGregor fans and they're chanting and they're screaming and it's just loud and it felt like a huge deal. It kind of felt like almost a Bristol night race in some respects. You know, they do the introductions and there's just people are kind of amped up. They know this is going to be something crazy that's going to happen. And the the fight night itself, it you know, the everybody's there and excited outside of the arena. There's people waving flags, there's people dressed up. It, it Felt like, on, in some respects, it kind of felt like walking around Talladega's infield, and then the fight starts, and it's intense, and there's just there's 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 energy and this buzz inside the building, and it felt like a big deal. Well, uh, Jordan, before we move on, uh, I do want to uh, tell people about an ad read that we have this week for Calm, and I think this is a appropriate week because you know there's a lot of stress going on out there. We, we've we've documented that. Um, you know, you might want to just sort of take a breath, um, have less stress, sleep better, all that stuff. So Calm, which we've talked about on this podcast before, um, is a good app for that because it's it's focused on sleep stories, meditations, um, the nature sounds, all that stuff. It, this is this is a good good week to sort of focus on your your mental routine. Um, so I, I think this is this is definitely an appropriate um, ad to read for this one. But um, for a limited time, our listeners can join in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash teardown. Um, I have, in fact, used this myself a little bit since we've 
Um, they've been a, an advertiser on the show. Uh, it is relaxing. I mean, if you if you can dedicate your time to the day, it's not. It doesn't take that long, but it, it just sort of like, you know, you focus on your breathing and and you listen to the sounds. You listen to what they're they're telling you to do. Um, it just it just sort of resets you for a minute. So you can unlock all this content to help you focus, you ease stress, you sleep better. Like I said, so get started at calm.com/teardown. That's calm.com/teardown. Hopefully, um, you will give yourself a mental break. It's it's very important to to stay in that space. So um, another big event that happened uh, the same weekend, the same night, I think, as the UFC fight was the Chili Bowl. And uh, I know neither of us were unfortunately able able to attend that. But and now it's you know of course a couple of weeks since that happened, so it's old news. But I I did want to go back and focus on that for a second because I thought it was pretty significant that Kyle Larson won that. Um, I wrote about this on the athletic, but I, I just feel like this sort of elevates him into a different conversation. And, and for, for people who aren't dirt fans, you're just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, you know, it's, it's the chili bowl. It's, you know, Tony Stewart's won this, whatever. But, you know, I, I just don't think people realize like the chili bowl, they race midgets all over the world now. I mean, they've been racing them in New Zealand and Australia during this off season. Um, out of all, and, and people in this country, all over this country, race midgets professionally even i mean there's it's it's this is this is not like some lower series this is a this is a profession and out of all the midget racers in the entire world kyle larson is the best right now christopher bell has been the best and larson's had trouble beating them and they've had some great battles they finished one two christopher bell won the last four chili bowls but larson was right there but now this offseason it wasn't just the chili bowl but larson is is the best midget racer on this planet he can also jump in a sprint car like at knoxville or, or with world of outlaws where he run, won a few times this year um and or last year i guess tw- 2019 uh, and obviously his nascar stuff i mean he's, it's he's he's one of the top nascar drivers he, he's he's working his way up um you know he won a playoff race last year so i mean this guy you know he's I really think he has the potential to really be this generation's next American star or next really great American all-around racer. But yet I just don't feel like he sort of gets the respect. I mean, he came out with a comment that, oh, the Chili Bowl's bigger than Daytona for him and everybody got on him. But I think that's true. Of course it is. He, he grew up doing that. So anyway, I mean, is, is Kyle Larson somehow underrated on the American motorsports scene or am I just crazy? No, I think he's underrated, but I also think he has to do more on the NASCAR side to get that appreciation. Um, you, you compare him to Tony Stewart, and I think it's a fair comparison, and he's been long compared to Stewart and Jeff Gordon. Those guys won a lot of NASCAR races, not to mention they won multiple championships. And for Kyle Larson to get that credit, he's going to have to take that step. He's had a, a couple really great years in NASCAR. When you look at it and you say, this guy is on the cusp, he's going to do something great. But then the follow-up wasn't there. And I, I think Kyle's at a point in his career. And obviously with him being an, a, a free agent at the end of the year, he's going to have to make some decisions. And I think ultimately where he ends up next year on the NASCAR side is going to say a lot about what his legacy is going to be. Because if he goes to a team like a Hendrick Motorsports or Stuart Haas Racing and he can go there and show his talent and be that driver that everybody thinks he can be, and then he is on some level and win races and win a championship, then that respect and appreciation will come. And then when you go and win the Chili Bowl, when you go and do these other things, 
that will just add to your legacy. But he, there, there's. I think it's fair to say he's got work to do, while also recognizing that he is immensely talented. Well, you know, I mean, like you said, you know, a lot is going to have to do with where where he ends up in the future because, um, you know, I think getting away from Ganassi and going to a bigger, more powerful team would would help because if you look at what he's done, I mean, aside from from McMurray in 2010 with that one great season and Juan Pablo Montoya in 07, I mean, there hadn't really been too much to to be excited about at Chip Ganassi Racing until um, Larson comes along. I mean, um, it's he's he's a guy who I think has elevated that team and it's not like he's been on uh, a Joe Gibbs racing or Hendrick Motorsports I mean he's he's done it for a team that hasn't been top tier and certainly they they're they look better now but they certainly didn't look great when he first got there so and he made McMurray look pedestrian when I mean you know when, when they were teammates so I, I just think um I think that part of it sort of gets lost too like well he hasn't won as much in NASCAR but at the same time he's not he's not racing for a great team no, and that that's a very good point. And he's with uh, you know Chevrolet has had their issues as well, and their competitiveness has struggled versus Toyota and Ford in the last few years. So you do make a really good point. I mean, he he's been with a, an organization that has underachieved many years, and he has gone there and done more than most other drivers have. But you almost want him to do more, and that's unfair to say. I just think when you look no, at no, I I think he has to. About, I I agree with you that he has to do more. I'm just saying so far, um, yeah, I think he's he's done well for what he has now if he chooses to stay at chip ganassi racing i i think that will you know i think that will limit his overall career arc um because i just don't see them i think they're they are in good shape now i mean they've they've been better but they're still not a powerhouse i think he has a chance to really improve his career standing by making a move this year um it just depends where that is yeah, I agree. And I think if he goes to a Stuart Haas racing, I think he's going to be able to expand his legacy on multiple fronts. One, he's obviously going to be with a better NASCAR team there. And two, Tony Stewart's going to let him run, you know, as many sprint car races as he wants. Heck, Tony Stewart might fly him there himself to race with him. So that's going to give him an opportunity to continue adding, you know, to his resume on that side of things. So, you know, Larson's got many years of racing left, and I think he is in a, in a really good spot right here where he's going to have a really good opportunity to decide how he wants to be remembered and what his legacy is going to be. And I'm very curious to see where he's at a year from now. So I also, speaking of Chili Bowl, um, I ranked it among my top 10 most prestigious <laughs> races to win in the country. This uh, list got quite a lot of, um, I don't know, discussion. Some people liked it, some blowback. Um, but it, it got more reaction, I guess, than anything that I've written so far at the athletics. That was kind of interesting to see. I mean, we're talking about it on Sirius and stuff. That was crazy. Um, if you want to see the rest of my top 10 races, um, check those out on the athletic as well. Um, I also, this week or on uh, Tuesday, I posted my all interview team, uh, my preseason all interview team. That is who I think are going to be the most quotable and quoted drivers, um, of the year, Jordan, um, I, I won't make you say all six, uh, of yours, but why don't you give us three of your most quotable or quoted drivers that you think this, this is my sort of estimation. I'll, I'll revisit at the end of the year, but who are, give, give us three think, drivers who you think will be, um, highly sought after repeatedly by the media this year. 
I, well, Clint Boyer, uh, Clint Boyer any year is somebody that a media seeks out because he's a great crowd. He's entertaining. The fact that he's in a contract year, this may be his last year. There's a lot of uncertainty about his future only adds to it. And then I think you, you nailed it with Kyle Busch. I think Kyle is an incredibly insightful uh, quote. He has a lot of great insight on analysis on different things. And he also has a very strong opinion and is not afraid to share it. Some, and he just can't help himself. And you wrote about that. And I, and I think he is somebody, to me, I think he's the most entertaining driver in you know the, me, the uh, media perspective just because you're going to get the truth with him. And sometimes it's not going to be polished. And sometimes it may not be something you want to hear. But you're going to get an honest opinion. And I don't, uh, I'm sorry, I've read your list. Do you have Jimmy Johnson on there? No, I you really think Jimmy Johnson's going to be uh I think I think in a year where this is his last season um and there's going to be a lot of talk about his legacy and what he meant and where he ranks all time. I think Jimmy by himself is really interesting and I think Jimmy is insightful. And I think Jimmy's been in the last few years I think he's been much different than he than he's been accused of, you know, being bland earlier in his career. I think he's a good quote. I go back to his press conference when he announced his retirement to me that was a very honest man who gave an honest assessment of where he's at and why he's doing things if we get that jimmy johnson the rest of the year yeah i I do think he's he's worthy of being on that list i i don't know i still felt like even that press conference was the same jimmy that has always been around which isn't bad i mean that's that's who he is but you know he he just speaks in a certain way where he doesn't um it's not a, a sort of colorful, you know, jump out at you sort of way to me. I mean, yeah, of course, he's he was saying the honest, you know, truth of, of how he feels about things. I, I I don't doubt that. But it's just not the kind of quotes that you're going to go back and be like, oh, I got to get Jimmy's take on this because it's so good. Or it's like Jeff Burton used to be or whatever. I just I don't know. I just I don't see him that way. But this <clears throat> I asked you for your opinion, so I'm not going to. You know, um, no, it's okay. I'm wrong. It's okay. No, you you know, you're not wrong. I'm just, I'm just arguing with you for the sake of arguing. <laughs> Jordan, um, <clears throat> I do want, uh, before we go, to mention something else. Um, this is kind of weird because, you know, for a while, the, the teardown, we started it um, last uh, July. Um, and for a few months there, it was just behind the paywall. It wasn't in this feed now um where a lot of you are listening uh, publicly on iTunes or whatever where that was occupied by my former um Jeff Gluck uh, untitled Jeff Gluck podcast feed where I did 12 questions and post race podcasts you were on the first two episodes and many others of that former podcast so um I just want to note that just in that podcast not the behind the paywall feed and all that stuff but just in this untitled Jeff Gluck feed slash the teardown feed this is the 300th episode of the podcast you were on number one and two as as i mentioned so thank you for um for being on all those and now obviously with me now every week on the teardown as well it's this is emotional i i don't know what to say i'm a little overwhelmed it's not emotional um, i don't you. think you get emotional about anything do you get <laughs> emotional about anything no i don't get no i'm not emotion i'm all seriousness all the time when's the last business. time you cried jordan when's the last time you cried uh you um okay really my, my dog died two years ago and one month ago that's that was rough oh so that was the last time well i'm sorry to bring so that thanks up. for reminding yeah. me of that thanks for bringing that up and now i'm gonna sorry hang up about this that. Oh. pod hang up on this podcast and i was thinking i was gonna get like a so, like a, a movie when you were seven years old or something like that like when some disney no. character but 
No, you had to. No, my beloved. Yeah, your dog, dog who, who you I did love, love more than know? anything. Yeah, I'm sorry. Thanks. I'm very Appreciate sorry. That. No, it's great. Wonderful friend. I've cried a lot just this week. So, uh, <laughs> if that makes you, if that that tells you the difference between us, though. Um. Anyway. Uh. So, uh, Thanks. thank you for the fake emotion about the 300th episode. But uh, I do appreciate. Um, all of all of you who have listened to so many of them, some of you have probably listened to all of them. So, you are rock stars, and we appreciate you um, listening. One one other thing before we go, um, in, in our next episode again, by the way, will be in Daytona. It will be after the Clash and Daytona 500 qualifying. So we'll get back to our usual Sunday posting schedule after that. Um, of course, the week after that will be Daytona 500. So lots of fun stuff coming up on the ground in Florida. But um, there's another podcast here on The Athletic that we want to tell you about, and especially with Super Bowl week, um, want to just give you a little bit um, for, for those who are podcast fans, because it's there's an actually, I don't know if you, you guys realize this, there's a daily podcast um, from Wondery and The Athletic called The Lead. It's every weekday morning. It's like <clears throat> sort of a deep dive into the biggest sports stories of the day. I'm losing my voice. <clears throat> for Jordan, I'm losing my voice now. After all this talking, I don't feel I don't feel bad for you after making me think about my dog. <laughs> wow, that lost all sympathy for me. Okay, anyway, it's uh, it's it's the biggest sports stories of the day, um, and it's it's the athletic writers, local national sports reporters. <clears throat> Gosh, I can't even get through this, Jordan. What am I going to do? Anyway, it's it's about like where did the Niners' new star running back come from? What it, what can Zion Williams do for the Pelicans? Stuff like that. So, if you're looking for the full story behind last night's scores and today's hot takes make sure you subscribe to the lead from wondery and the athletic and we're going to close with um the music first that you're used to and then we're going to play a sample mini episode of the lead so stay tuned to that if you want to check out check it out if not uh either way we will be back next week thank you so much to jordan he hates me now because of the dog thing but we'll, we'll smooth things over talk to you next week from daytona It's Super Bowl week, Kavitha. Yeah, man. I mean, Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs just went off during these playoffs. And that Niners defense is just stout. Right. And the one guy everyone will be watching closely is the dude who torched the souls of Packers fans and basically gave Jimmy Garoppolo the day off. Mostert, left side. Another first down carry and more. How about a touchdown? His fourth touchdown of the ball game. Raheem Mostert ran for 220 yards and four touchdowns against Green Bay. This is a guy who was cut by six different NFL teams and who, before the season, was mostly seen as a special teams player. And so today, we're going to speak with The Athletic's Tim Kawakami, who has been covering the 49ers for years, about how much of a surprise Mostert's performance really was, if he was a one-game wonder, and how surfing has influenced the way he runs. The wave hits and then he's gone. It's a very interesting kind of combination of a surfer running back. From Wondery and The Athletic, I'm Anders Kelto. And I'm Kavitha Davidson. This is The Lead. It felt like something great was happening. There was just something about the emotion and that moment. The failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy. You can't have never seen anything like that. 
That's not good news. This isn't a story where you interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. So, Tim, Raheem Mostert's performance against the Packers was truly historic. What was his reaction after the game? He was like, you know, yay, Raheem, did you know that was one of the greatest games a running back ever had in the NFC Championship game? No, I did not, actually. And truthfully, for you to even say that right now is like, I, I'm still shocked. Like, I can't believe that. That's the kind of guy he is, the kind of guy a lot of these players are. But especially Raheem had been bouncing around from lead, from team to team. Really wasn't thought of as a running back until the 49ers just started plugging him in there, and he just never had a bad run. He just never went for less than five yards, so you might as well just keep giving it to him. Somehow the handoff into the arms of Mostert. He's gone. Touchdown, San Francisco. You know, just he still acts like a journeyman. He acts like a guy who was a special teams player who isn't going to be a featured back while he's putting up some of the you know mega numbers in the playoffs. They all treat themselves and they look at the world like they're a bunch of journeymen. It's it's very, very refreshing. Uh, And I think it is a large part of how they've kind of coalesced together. They all, nobody's bigger than anybody else in that locker room. Even the guy who goes for 200 whatever yards in the NFC Championship game. He's a surfer, right? He is a surfer. First of all, you got no wetsuit on. You're just straight trunks. You ride longboard, shortboard. You've been to Mavericks yet? Like, like, walk us through the surfing and when you started and how you got into that. You know, I started uh, surfing when I was about 13 or 14, and uh, you know, it's just been a big hit for me, uh, going out there on the waves and riding the waves like you see in this video, man. Um, just enjoying the, the the atmosphere and the water, and I, I want to go to Mavericks. So you know, bad. almost got a surfing contract from Billabong. He's, you know, Florida waves so out here in California. We're not sure what that is, but uh, <laughs> I guess they get waves out there. And he certainly he runs like a surfer. Mostert in the backfield, he gets it. Samuel out in front. Touchdown kind of feels the crest. He kind of like glides towards to where the hole is and he catches the next wave and there he's gone. And guys don't expect him to get past him and they get past him. It's not like a classic running back. He's not like Walter Payton juking, juking, juking. He's kind of kind of filling the moment, feeling where it is. The wave hits and then he's gone. It's a very interesting kind of combination of a surfer running back. And uh, do you think he's been enjoying his time in the spotlight here? Yes, I think he has. He understands what it's like not to be any part of this, to be such an afterthought to your cut by five teams. He understands that, you know, a world where he's not a star. He's lived in that world. So he's going to enjoy it a little bit. Again, I don't think he's seeking out crazy fame, but these guys are all kind of enjoying it. Right now, they're all kind of like, this is pretty good. This is pretty good right now. And so, Tim, Mostert's performance seemed to come out of nowhere. But did you foresee this? You know, I don't think you ever foresee a guy going for 200 plus in an NFC Championship game unless he's, you know, top, top pick. He certainly wasn't. But he's been impressive. Every time he's carried the ball, he's been impressive. He's been a star special teamer. So you knew he had some skills. But you saw something building there. And you sometimes running backs just come out of nowhere. You just, the Shanahans are famous for that. Pulling some guy out of the fifth round, he runs for 1,000 yards. Mostert is in that category. They've tapped into something with him. Kyle Shanahan recognized it. So he's been good for most of the season. Well, Tim, thanks for joining us. And it'll be interesting to see if Mostert and the 49ers can pull it off on Sunday. All right. I'll see you. Talk to you later. 